0: Inform, advocate, and involve seniors in discussing important social issues. In short, these podcasts will help us. You, in creating an age-friendly city for Vancouver today. Tomorrow the world. You can hear us everywhere podcasts are heard.
1: Broadcasting from an outdoor location. But I see I keep going in and out, so I'm going to sign over to Robin, who's facilitating today. And... She'll tell you about what's happening on Powered by Age today, the 22nd of April.
2: Great. Thanks, Charlotte. Um, welcome uh, everybody online and everybody who is listening to the podcast in the in the future. Uh, as Charlotte mentioned, today is April the 22nd, Earth Day, and we have a really special um, presentation um, Christine Germano, who is a friend of mine, but also a, a wonderful photographer and has done climate work with um, kids all over the world um, using a process called Photo Voice, is here to talk about um, well, climate and climate change and some of the things that she's been able to, to discover with her work uh, with kids and play some material that, um, that has come out of that work. And then we're going to hear a story um, at the end from a uh, Dufour, who is uh, a participant on the podcast, so should be a a great show. We'll have some time for for, um, Q&A with Christine um, as well. Um, For our introduction, though, um, we'll do our regular go around. And what I would like uh, everybody to to introduce themselves as uh, is with your name. And then if you were a weather system, if you were a climate, what would your climate be today? Are you sunny? Are you cloudy? Are you rainy? Are you um, dewy? <laughs> what what would be your your climate? And uh, I can I can get us get us going, um, and then we'll just uh, name someone in the group to to sort of hand off to. So uh, again, my name is Rob, and I'm one of the podcast mentors here with 411 uh, powered by age. And I would say that today my climate is full sun. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm feeling good. I'm in a great mood. I'm enjoying the, the actual sun as it is. And, uh, and I will pass it to Neil.
3: Yeah. Hi, my name is Neil Ryan. Uh, uh, I live in Burnaby, British Columbia. Uh, I am the author of a book uh, called *From the Other Side*, and uh, I, I'm the day after the storm. Uh, I've uh, had a health challenge for the last uh, well, where are we? 20 seconds. So for the last 22 days, I've been working on uh, repairing a. Uh, a physical injury, and uh, uh, day by day I'm getting better and better. And uh, so I'm the day after the storm. It's just, there's still a few clouds around, but uh, but uh, I can see the sun outside uh, right outside my balcony here. So uh, it, it, improving, the weather's improving. Thank you, Christine. No.
4: Sure. I'll go. Um, yep, Christine. I'm in, well, East Vancouver, but Squamish, uh, Musqueam, Tsleil-Waututh uh, territories. Um, and uh, my weather sunny, but with a really a, a brisk breeze, somewhat like it is right now. Like my day has just been like whoo, one thing after another, but still feeling very happy and bright, managing to go along there. Um, I will pass it to Chris.
0: Um, I'm Chris Morrissey,
4: and I live in East Van as well. And I participate at Britannia uh, Community Centre in a group called Quirky Queer Imaging and Writing Collective for Elders. And I am today sunny with some dapple shading. Uh, Today for the first day of... I've I've actually been, I'm in, I'm in rehab. I uh, had a a below the knee amputation. And today for the first day I walked with one cane. So, uh, so it's sunny and there's some shade because I'm not quite in the full sun yet, but I'm getting there. Thank you. Oh, next
1: Diane, Diane. I had to unmute. (laughs) Um, I'm Diane Babcock in Nanaimo. It's beautiful here. I own a Cool Tech Writing and Design. I've owned it since 2007, and I do like desktop publishing, but I'm semi-retired, so I'm in the process of writing a novel now. Um, My weather is sunny with um, some clouds are being dispersed, and some more clouds are looming, and so I'm just hoping that the wind is going to come and just blow those away. That's my weather. <laughs> Nancy? Hi, I'm Nancy Sinclair, and today is just beautiful, bright, sunny, not a cloud in the sky, mountains are sparkling in the sunshine just beautiful British Columbia majestic as always it's a beautiful day thank you and I apologize I don't recall
0: and your name's not on the screen okay. I apologize for not remembering your name I'm sorry no uh last week the technician helped me to get my name which is 18 instead of mm-hmm. the numbers but today, when I tried to sign in, it said it's invalid. So I guess my name is invalid. But anyway, What's up now? <laughs> I am Aideen Defour. I live in Falls Creek in Vancouver. Um, I am from Ireland originally, lived some 40 years in Quebec, and the past three and a half years or so in Vancouver. I love it here, and I hope to spend the rest of my days here. And my weather, my climate is sunny, very sunny. The maybe the only cloud is that I can't get signed signed in by my name. <laughs> <laughs> apart from that, everything's fine.
4: Actually, your name popped up for me.
0: Oh, it is oh, there. Really? It's there now. Yeah, it's there oh, yeah. now. Oh, okay, good.
1: <laughs> you just spoke the word, and it happened. <laughs>
2: Uh, I think you're the last, Jesse.
4: Yeah, I just uh, switched your name up, Aideen, so it appears I'm I'm back on it. Uh, I'm Jesse. I uh, do some of the tech stuff here, uh, and I'm in East Vancouver in my living room. And uh, my weather is parched. I feel like I'm on, like, the 17th day of a, a really long, hot, hot dry streak and now i'm just like thirsty and a little sun fried and just ready for the rain to come
2: all right thank you everyone um a lot of sun with uh some vari- a bit variability so that's that's interesting and uh without further ado uh, I want to invite Christine to talk to us about climate. And
4: yes, okay. tell
2: us what you know, Christine.
4: Welcome well, to the podcast. What I know. Um, okay, I will start by. Sort of doing a little bit of an intro of myself, and actually, maybe I'll share my screen. Should I share my screen so I can give you visuals, since visuals is what Christine specializes in? Um, I graduated from the Ontario College of Art years ago and sort of found a a path with um, working with youth using photography and writing, but more about inspiring them to tell their stories through photography and writing. So I'm sort of jumping a little bit ahead here, but because it's Earth Day, um, this is actually, so what happened through my little journey is that about 10 years ago, I ended up doing a climate change project with uh, indigenous youth from 12 different countries. And this happened because of a project I had been doing with Indigenous youth in communities with high suicide rates. And this was all came about because in 1993, my brother, who was 15 years old, um, committed suicide. And that was when I was in my last year of Ontario College of Art. And it, it really steered my life into this sort of direction of using the arts to heal, to express, in you know, instead of that alternative. So anyway, here we are in Barbuda, and the kids in Barbuda um, wrote their own song about climate change, and one of the girls sang it, and it was pretty hard to get to record her, but I'm going to play it for you. And uh, yeah, it's about three minutes long. So here we go.
5: We be quite small but united as one body surely we stand tall ready to defend the rights
4: that we possess I'm sorry
5: inside our hearts we are blessed we believe we will take a stand <laughs> to stop the climate change from destroying our The land was rising, the glories are dying.
4: to tears actually because I haven't listened to it or watched this and I really wanted to show you uh, this one has too many photographs in such a short period of time but um, it actually shows you these are all of the kids photographs may I add these are not my photographs I am teaching them to take awesome photographs they use my professional gear And uh, so this was something that they just put together, and uh, that was Barbuda. Now, of course, what happened, I believe, in 2016 or 2018, um, a huge cyclone hit Barbuda. And it's a tiny little island right beside, um, yes, Barbuda was basically flattened by that cyclone and everyone was relocated to Antigua and still now they're not back. They they were basically completely um, displaced. And a lot of people don't know that there was 1500 people that lived there, but you know, nobody's living there right now. Not really. They're just starting to rebuild, but you know, it's, it takes them years to build all of that back up. So actually these guys lost, they lost their fight and they have been displaced because of climate change. So um, I actually was going to, I have my, uh, so, you know, um, so I founded the Constant Arts Society in 2003. And I started working with First Nations youth. And of course, kids that live, you know, in their community, playing around, their parents. They've got all the firsthand, you know, knowledge. They know what's going on or they know who to contact. And this work had been exhibited in Ottawa. Um, And, you know, this is just the way life is. Somebody walked by to get a cup of coffee from one government building to another. And they passed by this, my, my kids' project called Through Our Eyes. And uh, this person ran upstairs to Canada Council for the Arts and said, you know, who did it? And she said, it's kids' work, it's kids' writing. And he wanted to meet me. And it turned out he really wanted to do a climate change project. And so, you know, sort of naturally, I always did these arts for social change projects. But this is how I met Robin, um, is through SFU Arts for Social Change um, master's degree. But Um, so when I go to these communities uh, the kids lead you know where we're going to take the pictures sometimes we just go on photo walks but you know we get these really intimate perspectives of what is happening in these communities and how does it affect them so this uh, is the Marshall Islands and they'll just fill barrels with cement that's actually made usually out of salt water so it it doesn't really solidify, uh, well, it doesn't have, it just doesn't last as long. They last about 10 years and then they disappear. So you can see how much erosion uh, the Marshall Islands is going through. And then this is a community I worked with in Greenland. And I guess I like showing this picture because some of the kids are also really young, but also English is a second language. So often the way they best speak is through their photography. So the project took place in all of these locations So it had small islands, developing states, and the Arctic. And, you know, what I found out through this journey was that they actually have all the same issues, erosion, flooding, their food supply is being affected. When things melt in the north, obviously the sea levels rise in the, around the equator and are very, for vulnerable places like the small islands or places like Fiji, or in particular atolls like Tuvalu, Kiribati, and the Marshall Islands, which is basically like, um, it's, a, it's actually an ancient volcano in the ocean. So people are living on the lip of this volcano. And that's what they call an atoll. And those places are about four to five meters above sea levels. But this story is of a graveyard in Fiji that at low tide is here, and at high tide you can just see just the tops of some of the tombstones. So this man has been living in his house there um, since he was a child. And he's watched the water, you know, just come closer and closer and closer. But what I wanted to do also, there were poems that I wanted to read, right? Because we're supposed to be doing poetry. So I'll co- I'll go through some of the stories. This is about... Um, what do you call it? Herding reindeer with the Sami in Norway. And, uh, so what happens is there's not enough snow basically to, um, to, to herd them properly. And they literally have to use helicopters. And so this is one of the kids' stories. And the other thing that was really nice about this project, sorry, I keep flipping back and forth here, is that, um, they did it all in their own language. So it's in Sami, it's in Norwegian, and then it's translated into English. So this is a an island in Fiji that's dealing with flooding. Now this is in Barbuda, and I wanted to explain this. Barbuda has a sandbar that protects a lagoon. So on one side, the right side of this picture, is the lagoon. That very blue, blue side, where the dark uh, sky is, is ocean. So, <clears throat> This sandbar protects Barbuda, basically. It's like their first defense against huge storm waves coming in. And then is mangroves, which is almost like a natural seawall. This is an elder in Russia. Um, But I am going to read some of these poems. (laughs) It's Tuvalu, Elder. Uh, We'll start with Greenland. And one of the kids wrote this uh, beautiful little poem called Maybe. So that's Greenlandic and it's just Greenland's ice, Greenland's inland, ice is melting. Maybe Greenland is going to be like a Greenland. Maybe there will be strange animals and new vegetables. Maybe the life of Greenlanders will change in the future. Maybe the fish will disappear and new fish will come instead. Maybe Greenlanders cannot fish anymore. They have to look for new jobs. Maybe there will be no ice. And so, and then the kids put, you know, pictures together to sort of represent their story. These banners were two meters by one meter and were shown at the climate change talks and museums and galleries. And so the kids wrote all kinds of stories about climate change, but I wanted to particularly uh, just pull out the ones that were more of a poetic sort of sense to it. This is in Norway, and it's "If the poles if the poles melt, if global warming makes the poles melt," which causes the sea level to increase." 25 centimeter. No problem at all. We are used to high tides. 50 centimeter. Hmm. No big problem. We manage that. Well, maybe some of the roads will be flooded by high tide. 100 centimeter, a problem. Some of the roads by the sea may be washed away. But of course, we can make the roads a little higher up. The fishing boats in the harbour will not be safe for waves from the sea. That's not good. 150 centimeter. That's beginning to be a bigger problem. For sure, some of the roads will be gone and some of the fields by the sea will be flooded. The sheep and the reindeers cannot eat there because the salt from seawater will destroy the grass. 200 centimeters. Not easy at all. Some of the houses by the sea will have seawater in their cellars by high tide. People cannot use houses the wells belonging to the houses will be flooded with salt water and cannot be used for drinking water or used as drinking water. 300 centimeters. Very, very big problem. For sure, our museum in Varanglbot, oh, I know I said that wrong, cannot be used. There will be seawater high up on the walls and a lot of private houses will be, have to be evacuated. Many of the roads will be flooded and it will not be possible to drive to our neighboring cities. The only way to drive is in the country. Our harbor will be totally destroyed. What will the fishermen do? And then finally, 400 centimeter. Well, of course, an even bigger problem. Our water supply will be destroyed by seawater and we will have to get drinking water from the smaller rivers up in the mountain. The plumbing will be flooded. Cannot use toilets. Cannot use washing machines, dishwashers machines it will all be so strange so many things will happen i really don't know what we will do and
2: chris sorry christy can i just jump in i i'm I'm Mm -hmm. curious uh, about the age of the of the kid who wrote that one for instance because it seemed like such an adult voice you know Like, like so much awareness about what what the economy of their community was all about and and the levels of destruction that climate change was going to cause.
4: Well, this is another interesting aspect of this project was from going to community to community. And sometimes I mostly worked with high school students, but occasionally did work with seven and eights and even five, six. And from what I recall, these guys were six, seven, eights. Um, But, This was the strongest stories I think I received out of the whole project. It was Norway. Um, These kids were expected to write either in Norwegian or Sami first, then translate to the other, and then translate English. They handed it all in typed with their names at the top as if it was like our master's degree. I got these papers, and I was like, You know, most kids I get like it just, you know, written on a piece of paper and I sit down and help them type it out or whatever, you know, depending in some places they might not even have a computer. In Greenland, a school I worked at had like two computers and the kids never are on a computer. So it was just way faster for Christine to type it out or we might be there all day. But in other places like Norway or where there's so actually this is part of the methodology when I work with groups like this, and often in the North, you know, English is definitely a second language. The same in Pangnur Tong Novot, English is a second language. And so I always ask them to write in their more familiar uh, language. But, you know, as soon as I pull out the photo equipment and I get the first story in my hand and I'm like, okay, you're done. We're going to go out and do your photo shoot. I have all of a sudden kids lined up going, Miss, Miss, I I have my story done. Now I can go out and take pictures. And I'll be like, oh, well, but you know, your story is only three lines long. Like, can we kind of expand on that a little bit? Like, do you eat a plain hamburger? Do you eat just... A pizza with just sauce. Like, Let's put some toppings on that. And so I send them back. And then, you know, the kids will come back and forth to me until their stories have sort of grown into something. And But kids like this, um, well, this group in particular, and I ask them to go back to parents, to go back to grandparents, ask people they know. What do they know? Where did they work? Do you know somebody that worked in a fish factory? Do you know, oh, my grandfather, or I had one of my kids uh, in Russia, the mother was a veterinarian for reindeers, in particular reindeer herding, like out there. So she would go out with the reindeers, herders, out in northern Russia, like that's really roughing it. And like, it's tough. And uh, she would be out there for weeks, just going over the reindeer to make sure there wasn't any you know big infestations or sicknesses and etc keeping track so that child had this vein of knowledge that you know I would never have been able to get my hands on. That was incredible. And she was so excited that her son was writing a project about her and her work. So you can just imagine how much she wanted to share. And, you know, it's like cookies and tea. And we're at her place and he's taking pictures. So, you know, it's quite Um, it works out really well. And you can look at this also from a perspective of, like I look at it uh, from an arts-based arts research perspective as well. But I haven't, I've been wanting to do that with this one uh, group, but uh, I haven't done it yet. So this was uh, in Pangnertong Nunavut, But in particular, I like this little story here. Now, I wouldn't say it's as much a, uh, what do you call it? It's not really a poem, but what I like about it is how much kids writing can tell you so much about what's going on. So it's called hunting. These days, it is harder to go hunting because of climate change. Men cannot go hunting for their family. We need our country food to survive. We can't just live on store-bought food. Elders need country food to be healthy and to live longer. We need our elders to give us knowledge. Men need a purpose in life. Some men love to hunt. It is like a need to feed their children Inuit food. Without hunting, men don't feel needed as much. I've seen it happen. We also need to have sealskin kamiks for men, women, and children. What will we do without hunting? So when I, I mean, I can just put that out there, but when she wrote that story, I knew immediately what she was writing about, you know, and I, I don't think I'm, she was basically writing about like the, the emotional, the mental um, wellness that is like behind the scenes, you know, if you can't hunt, you can't feed your family. There's a rise in suicide, there's a rise in depression, there's a rise in alcoholism, and all these things, domino effect off of climate change. And these are like the invisible sicknesses of climate change that we don't see. And so that story has always struck me, you know, so closely because she said things without, you know, really having to say anything. Now, how am I doing on my timing? Not bad. Okay. Um, This is from Fiji. Now, this uh, is a really interesting story. We took the kids and these are high school students. And uh, so I gave a talk about climate change and showed the kids you know other projects and we took them to the university of the south pacific there was a climate change uh what do you call it symposium and this professor got up and explained how um that yeah god god doesn't have anything to do with science and that climate change doesn't have anything to do with you know um the church or anything like that I believe is what happened well one of the students his father is a pastor so he came to me very upset about this and that he explained uh, that there is all kinds of scriptures in the bible that refer to you know how we are responsible for the earth and and how we should take you know care of it and so the right side is Fijian but I'll just read a couple little spots here you know Have we already taken this planet down the path to destruction? Genesis 8.22 or 9.11 says, As long as the earth endures seed time and harvest cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, will never cease. God is certainly mindful of what man is doing to this earth, and he will act at the appropriate time. And in the appropriate manner, in order to keep his promise, Psalm 46, 2-3 also has a hope-inspiring promise for us. Therefore, we will not fear. Through the earth give way, and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. Through its waters roar and foam, and the mountains quake with their surging. And so, I believe, oh, this is, oh, and up at the top. What does the Bible tell us about our environment Genesis be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on earth, we have certainly been given the charge of taking domain of our environment. We are free to do with it as we please. But with the task of possessing our environment also comes a responsibility. Galatians states that a man reaps what he sows. If we are going to abuse the world around us, then we will suffer the consequences of our greedy acts. So he took the pictures too, actually. So when I presented this to the man at the United Nations, John Crump, um, he said, Christine, I don't know if we can show this banner at the climate change talks because, you know, it's about religion. <laughs> and I was like, well, you know, um, the people in the South Pacific are very cultural on one hand, but they're also, uh, religion is a very, it's a part of their culture. So if we want, you know, to really represent them and this is their voice, well then, we let them represent any way they want, and if you know, who's to say religion does not fit at the UN climate change talks? We're trying to speak for everybody. So now, um, I think I'll close with the Fiji, um, Fiji slideshow. There, where is it? Do 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 do. Oh yes, here it is. Now this one, uh, this school, the principal was absolutely amazing and for her she like they had a sound studio situation she had the kids did the music they wrote the music and this is all their photography so um yes i really hope you will enjoy it
5: taking back their dreams
0: There it is. All right.
4: So that's my presentation. (laughs) I think I'll stop sharing now. Let's see.
2: Thank you. Thank you, Christine. Um, That last song from Fiji. um,
0: Just tugs at the
2: old heartstrings, (laughs) hey? You know, like when they're singing about how they're their home in the beautiful blue sea might get swallowed up by it. Um, it just feels so, so real. And um, who's going to hear their plea? Yeah.
4: Yeah. It's, yeah well, it's very profound. I I feel like I should put that on uh, YouTube. I never did, but it did get around two different, you know, um functions and places and climate change talks and stuff but um you know it's it these are such vulnerable places and i i am a little bit like fiji is a very like second home for me i spent a lot of time there um so i'm very concerned in regards to covid right now and uh, as sheila wat kluche said uh, from uh, nunavut uh, who almost received the nobel peace prize speaking out about climate change you know um she was like, we're here because of climate change, like this situation of COVID, to her, it all links up. And Mm. we were, you know, we were going down this path, we were heading into this place. And so Mother Nature is sort of balancing the books, you know, no more flights, no more ships, no more, no more, no more. (laughs)
2: Well, yeah, we just got a, a rebate check from uh, ICBC because COVID has forced people to drive less, and so there's been more accidents on the road, and um, that's been a really interesting little bonus, right? Um, that's that's paid back in uh, in a rebate check yeah. for for us on our insurance, so. Um, Definitely uh, climate change affects us in ways that we that are kind of surprising, I guess. Yeah. Um, I want to open it up for questions if anybody's got comments or questions um, for Christine.
4: Quiet group.
2: Sometimes.
1: (laughs) (laughs) No, look at that. No, nothing. well i will s- oh i just want to ask how how long did it take to do that particular project
4: it must- well it the first it was one year i did four countries that was the first uh the arctic uh norway alaska greenland and nunavut and that was for the climate change po- talks in copenhagen um and we you know i created those banners but then after that uh i did the South Pacific, five countries in one go. I went to Fiji and I stayed in Fiji for like four months and just kind of went, you know, to Samoa, to Fiji, to Tuvalu, back to Fiji. Because it, for me, if you're doing a climate change project, it did not make sense to be jumping in a plane every single time I, you know, like mm-hmm. I had to find a way to consolidate some of this travel. So lucky me, I'm single. I don't have kids. I'm not married. So, you know, I went out there and I basically stayed out in the South Pacific and did five countries at once. And then the other countries were sort of, it was over the next few years. So I think in total four years, that project was, yeah, four to five years of traveling and, but not all the time, but yeah. And when I go also, I may, I have to say is like I, those projects I would usually be in the community, a minimum of three weeks some places I was there for six weeks um, just because I also just wanted to stay and make sure I did a lot of photography, a lot of writing. And, that, you know, if you're going to travel all the way to Greenland, you make it worth your while because, mm-hmm. you know, you're not just going to jump on a plane and go hop over to Greenland. It just did not yeah. make sense.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah, get familiar with the locals and stuff. That's always fun, I find, when I travel. I really like hanging out with the locals you know, even if it's business, I'd rather just go, you know, down, you know, a far end and just see where the real people eat their dinner, you know, at That's the right. restaurants and, and find out where the good stuff is because they know all the best
4: places, right? Yeah. And really most of, mm-hmm. most, I'd say for sure, all of it. I, I never stayed in a hotel except for when I had to be at an airport and leaving it like whatever, four in the morning or some stupid thing. I always stayed in the community. Sometimes I was at a community center, sometimes I was usually it would be a um, a family would host me for a week. And you know, the principal in Fiji worked it out. It was like you'll be 10 days here, you'll be 10 days there. Like she had me all planned out and volunteers all ready to go and so it was a lot of community work there and you know, a lot of parents come in and And we have an exhibit always in the community before I leave, a big slideshow and everybody makes food and, you know, you make it into a really nice event. Yeah, for sure. Lots of teamwork.
1: Hmm. Are you currently working on any projects locally?
4: Not? Well, uh, COVID's made things so difficult. Mm, Um, I was supposed to be working. I was. We were just getting our hands into Britannia there's the light boxes outside. Uh, there's about six or seven of them light boxes. Well, I did that project ten years ago, so I was going to work with uh, Street Front, one of the alternative alt programs there at BRIT, and we were going to replace all the images, um, sort of freshen up all the light boxes. There's one outside of the arena. You know, they're they're kind of sprinkled all over. Um, I've been trying to get a climate change project going here in Canada. I have some people that really want to be involved, but finding the funding, of course, you know, I can't go into communities right now because we're good. We just have to be so careful. Um, But I am writing a book about this whole experience that due to being basically trapped at home, um, I've had all this time to look at photography. And so I've been, I'm at 30,000 words, which is really kind of big for me. Um, so I've written about my Alaska experience, sort of the behind the scenes, what happened in the making of these kids writing their stories and the things I learned about the culture, the communities, how climate change is affecting them. Um, yeah, so kind of a, a travel, not so much a travel book, but yeah, what I learned about climate change and about different uh, indigenous cultures and communities is what the book's about. So Mm -hmm. I've created some artwork as well in the last while. But, yeah, applying for jobs and trying to get my my vaccine. But, yeah, anybody else?
1: The pictures are beautiful.
4: Thank you. Oh, Aideen. Aideen, are you talking? You have to... (laughs) (laughs)
0: Okay. Thank you Uh, so much. I worked in West Africa for two and a half years, so nobody at that time was talking about climate change, but, uh, you know, I was very close to the people, and so your presentation brought up all sorts of wonderful memories for me, so thank you very much.
4: You know, it's, it's sometimes it's a controversial issue of You know about people going into communities and doing projects and working, but I think it's really important to bridge, you know, for us to learn about each other and bridge these communities and I know that the kids I brought together through that climate change project so 12 of them went to Copenhagen to present their stories and their pictures like to be the voices. And so they spent 10 days together in a boy scout camp. I got the boy scout camp rented. We had, you know, like cabins and there's a kitchen and, you know, rough, but you know, flush toilets and showers and all that. But those kids are still friends today. 12 years later, I see them on Facebook, you know, one from Alaska, one from Greenland, one from Nunavut. And they're all chatting about, Oh, I got my COVID. Oh, I got my, you know, whatever. (laughs) And It's amazing and that is really important community bonding especially for that generation because their problem is not like just unique it's everybody has it so the more they work together you know I I think that we're capable of doing anything really and I try to stay positive about this climate change issue but yeah um,
2: just conscious of the time, mm. uh, I want to thank you so much, Christine, for making the time to come and talk to the, the 411 podcast group and uh, leave time for Aideen to tell us or read us uh, the story that you, that you wrote, um, Aideen. Okay.
0: okay. So my story is not about climate change. Uh, But it's about the land. It's about the land and uh, what a treasure the land was on the bond with this particular part of the land. It's a very lighthearted story, but a true story, nonetheless. So if it was uh, a North American story, I think I would have called it Heat. But it's an Irish story, so I have kept my original title, which was Turf. It was 1945, the year the war ended, yes, but also the coldest, wettest winter on record in Ireland. The turf we could ill afford to buy just smouldered as mainly as Scrooge's candles, sending clouds of smoke but no heat into the small living room where we sat hunched and defeated. I was seven, too young to fully comprehend the world around me, but old enough to recognize the face of misery. But this too passed, and as spring gave us all new hope, my dad announced that the coming summer was going to be full of fun and surprises, picnics in the Dublin mountains every weekend. Wow, no need to justify that a kid of seven, so off we set. Sat, sorry. So off we set every Saturday and Sunday, bust into the city centre, then loaded onto trucks. We called them lorries, with as many other families as could be squeezed in, and then off to the bogs in the mountains. It was a wonderland, wide open spaces to accommodate any game we could imagine, with occasional swaths of bog cotton, that delicate but treacherous white flower that we soon learned could hide bog holes that could suck you down and prove fatal to a child. Dad taught us about the turf, how he cut it into neat chunks with an angled implement called a sling. And he taught us how to make houses with the sodden blocks. Houses with lots of windows, where the wind could blow through and the sun warm the little rooms and the rain slide off the sloping sides. We chased each other around and arrived ravenous for our meal and for my dad's famous tea. My dad considered himself an expert on tea wine tasting, couldn't hold a candle to the importance he gave to judging a good cup of tea. A really great cup of tea. Well now, you could trot a mouse on it. That was his verdict. We never doubted the logic of this. It was the word of the expert. It was the summer of a lifetime. Some 30 years later, my husband and I settled in an old house in a small village in Quebec. And he showed me the ancient skill of cording wood for our big old wood stove. And then I knew, for the first time perhaps, I really knew my dad. A man who could make his kids believe that what was backbreaking breaking worked for him was a family picnic. He was a poor man. We were all poor in those days. But he was above above all a proud man. And I think that after that winter of 45, he vowed that whatever befell his family, we would never again spend a cold, wet winter without a glorious, cheerful fire roaring in the hearth filling the house with heat and with the wonderful, distinctive, unforgettable smell of brightly burning turf. Nowadays, the big machines extract the turf from the bogs and compress it into hard briquettes that burn well and to last longer, but have no story to tell. It is sufficient it reflects modern Ireland and it is of course progress, of course.
1: Thank you, Adine. Um,
2: the imagery there in some places really takes me to the, the turf. Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, uh, and that's, that's our time for today's podcast. Um, Again, I wanna thank uh, Aideen Dufour for reading her story and for uh, Christine Germano for the presentation on, um, on arts research and climate change with kids. The Powered by Age podcast is sponsored by the Government of Canada New Horizons for Seniors program, as well as the 411 Senior Centre Society. And we are back again next Thursday from one to two o'clock for the last show in April. And I'm sure Charlotte, who is the the regular host, our own Sister C, has um, some poetry plans, as it has been National Poetry Month, and and much of the podcast um, this month has featured poetry and uh, an artistic expression. So thanks so much, and uh, we'll see you next
1: time. Thank you you so much, everybody.
2: Thanks, everyone.